some people also look at our industry thinking that we just have these, I don't know, very bored, rich housewives. And I don't have one of those as a patient. We all aspire to be them. Right? <laughs> but no, I just see working class people like myself, you know, it's just similarity. How do we, as medical professionals, create the life of our dreams and still impact the lives of our patients? My name is Dr. Adam Sewell, and I'm here to show you how to break free of the traditional healthcare system that has you overworked and underpaid. If you're ready to join us, visit freedomthroughprosperity.com. But for now, let's get into today's episode. So we have a facer that I think everyone should recognize. I would say this is probably the internationally known queen of aesthetics. Please welcome Miss Rana Canelli. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I appreciate oh, it. It's truly an honor. It's no, an honor and a pleasure. I was just saying to you that um, we've had, you know, many advanced practice nurses come through our training um, institute, um, CRNAs, and there's such a great vibe. They've got such a great community. So when you asked me, I'm like, sure, I'd love to give back. You know what I mean? I'd love to well, give back. So thank you for having me. Truly an honor. Well, let's get started. Yeah. Um, what is something that you think that everyone in the aesthetic industry should stop doing? Oh my gosh, where shall I start? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that... There's several things that I'm passionate about. So, you know, things not to do and things to do. Several years ago on social media, I used to put my injection videos up on social media just to share them with my peers, little pearls and tips. And what had happened is some people were screen recording them and then they were putting them on DIY sites on how to self-inject yourself at home. And that goes, that spirals into, it sort of cascades into other things of buying illicit product and not being skilled, obviously, to inject yourself. So I think that I sort of started with my friend Julie Bass Kaplan, a sort of a little movement in the industry to talk about the importance of not self-injecting yourself, particularly like us that were skilled providers. We could probably do it if we wanted to, but it just doesn't show very well. It doesn't look professional and what what would happen if something was to go wrong? Um, so I think I'm really passionate about that. I've got I've got a little bit of kickback from that in the past, but I think that when you try to make a what I think is a positive change, you can expect a little kickback. Um, but I think that's one of my fundamentals when people come into our trainings. I really set that standard of be mindful. You know, there is social media out there. Have a little bit of fun with it because it is social, but in the same breath. Let's be professional. We don't want to belittle our industry. Um, so I, I would definitely say no to self-injecting. That would be my number one. But I could probably give you a big, long list. Well, we're, we're happy to go into them, but I agree with you. I think it <laughs> it doesn't look professional to see an injector injecting themselves because, as you said, it does give the impression that anyone can do it. Um, something you said a lot of times that when you try to make positive change, you get a little kickback. Um, any other examples you have of where you have tried to make a positive um, change in something and you got what you thought was negative press? Yeah. Um, so when I started in the industry about 18 years ago, it was a much smaller group. And uh, probably about 15 years ago, I got invited to be a trainer for the pharmaceutical company. 
And, you know, it was such a honor and I was very nervous. I, I felt out of place. I felt like I looked out of place. I felt like I didn't know enough. And I got invited to the meeting of like train the trainers as they call it. And I just didn't feel like I belonged because I wasn't really welcomed. And I didn't have the fancy clothes. I didn't sort of fit into the tight jeans and the little, you know, little tops and things. And I just felt like I didn't belong. So another thing for me is in aesthetics, you know, you can be slim. Everyone's slim at the moment on the semi-glutide, right? Everyone's right? slim. <laughs> And I'm not bagging that at all. And you can have nice things, but also you can be a little bit more relaxed and be comfortable in your own skin and being an aesthetic provider. It doesn't have to exude luxury and a certain look. So that's been a passion of mine is just making people that healthcare providers that are looking to get into aesthetics um, feel comfortable and ha happy and confident in their own skin to be to know that they can deliver good care to patients and they're very relatable to their patients I go to work with sneakers on a t-shirt you know a tidy top and a pair of pants and my patients are very comfortable they trust me but then there's other providers too that go in with the pencil skirt and the stilettos and that works as well but it used to be a lot more glamorous um, and it's nice to get dressed up every now and then I just like to have my toes comfortable at work. I don't want to be For sure. <laughs> falling onto a patient with a pair of heels. But I think too, just making people feel comfortable coming in. And that was a little bit of a kickback in the beginning because it wasn't the industry at the time. But I think that it's moving more and more to it. Like I just went to a conference and people were just turning up at the conference looking professional, but also comfortable because we're ultimately there sitting in a classroom all day ready to learn taking notes, ready to learn. Yeah. And something you said too, is like with the patient became, being comfortable as well, because the average mom probably doesn't walk around in a pencil skirt, stilettos. And so I, I would feel more comfortable coming to someone that looks the way I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what drives patients to you as well. You know, your philosophy and your presentation, you end up driving a certain group of people towards you. Absolutely. It's kind of the old saying, like your vibe attracts your tribe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. nice. So for me, I, you know, some people also look at our industry thinking that we just have these, I don't know, very bored, ha rich housewives. And I don't have one of those as a patient. We all aspire to be them. <laughs> right? <laughs> but no, I just see working class people like myself, you know, it's just similarities and they're looking in just little tweaks here and there, the little changes that we can make to make someone look less tired, um, less, you know, angry, and just give a more positive expression on their face to live a comfortable and happy life, you know? Yeah. You know you said, uh, looking less tired. I know in one of your training videos, you say that your favorite areas to inject is probably um, glabella and then DAO. Um, yes. And I know because you said no one should look sad, no one should look mad. Do you want to talk about that, those areas, like your favorite areas to inject? Yeah, so that would be with neuromodulator. So I like to give like what I call a little sprinkle over the full face. But if there was two areas to treat, I think to break the negatives, one would be to stop making people look mad. And the second area to stop 
people looking sad. So treating the glabella complex and treating the DAOs because they're just two negatives that can appear on someone's face. And when you relax them with neuromodulator, you can just soften it and give a more happy disposition. But ultimately, just treating the full face, neck and décolleté with neuromodulator is the ideal. But I like to treat it very lightly so that there's still expression, but the skin looks pretty as well. You know, the neuromodulator treatment gives a really nice dewy look to the skin, but we still want to be able to animate and express to our loved ones, to strangers. We don't want to completely block anything. But if you, you know, you hear the old saying, if you put me on a desert island with one syringe or something like that, but if you made me choose two areas, the glabella and the DAOs. I agree. And I think it has to do with the way people perceive us because if, um, I know some people like myself, I say I'm introverted and I feel like if I have to think really hard, I get like that mad or sad look. And so I do think it changes people's, uh, just their outlook on life because of how they're perceived differently. Yes, yes. And we probably both have patients that come in and say, you know, I look, people think I look angry when I'm not or resting bitch face, those sorts of things. And uh, Rana, you were talking before kind of about your style. And one thing that I really love about you is you always have that kind of relaxed, very relatable, very authentic style. And I think you also, you know, even the way that what you teach is uh, a safe, natural approach. I'm not mistaken. That's kind of what, what your tagline is, right? Could you tell us a little bit more about like how you came to do that and, and maybe how that was a di- di- like different than the industry at the time? Yeah. You know, when I started in the industry, you know, patients, if we're talking about neuromodulator, patients would come in and say, freeze me. And we'd say, do you want to be frozen? You know, it's so funny. Like the, even the verbiage around the treatment was so unnatural. And also they were elective treatments or they are elective treatments. So when patients were requesting something, we felt as an aesthetic provider, we had to deliver it because they were paying for it. Also, patients aren't necessarily sick, you know, so they're strong. Some of these women, you know, they come in and they definitely know what they want. And so you're like, I better give it to them, even if it's not the right thing. Like some patients come in with a request, but it's not what the face needs. So it took me a long time to build my consultation and find ways to talk to these women that were older than me at the time. Um more successful, more smart, more more demanding in a way, it took me a long time to work out how to talk to them to say, hey, listen, I know I hear you, I hear what you're asking for, but would you like my professional opinion? And people weren't doing that in the day. We were just giving them whatever they wanted. So it took it took me years to work it out. I wish someone had taught me it, but now I'm able to share what I've learned throughout the years to others to help them better with the consultation. Because when you form a very good consultation with a trusting relationship, the patients are yours forever. They don't go anywhere else. So I think that's number one. We just sort of touched on the way that you look, the way that you appear, the philosophy that you share with your patients, the gratitude for choosing you because they can go anywhere And that trusting relationship starts with authenticity. It starts with listening. You know, I really, really listen to my patients and all my appointments are one hour. 
So I take the time. I could move through the treatments quicker if I wanted to, but I actually enjoy hearing about people's lives. And I find out what the emotional driver is that's making them seek a treatment. And that could be something as, you know, their husband's 10 years younger than them and they've been mistaken for, you know, his mother. Um, It may be a divorce. It may be losing your job and going back out into the workforce and having to compete against a younger, smarter, quicker generation. So finding out what that emotional driver to me is really important you know, I'm not a therapist, we're not therapists, but it's a big part of our job, you know, with, without the training, we do a lot of active listening. And then just using photographs that we've taken, you know, simply with their hair pulled back, their earrings off, um, all the different profiles, and just really using kind language to discuss the opportunities for treatment, should they want to do it. And also talking about the rare risks involved and the more common risks of bruising and swelling when it comes to facial fillers. So I take my time with that consultation and really set up a trusting platform. I also talk about the products that I use and the importance of reversibility with the hyaluronic acids. But there's other opportunities as well with other products that I'm familiar with but at this time I don't choose to treat, but I'm going to have to get back on the bandwagon soon because, you know, you just have to, you've got to move with the times. Um, But I don't hesitate in referring out either. I don't hesitate in telling my patients the areas that I don't choose to treat with fillers because of the higher risk for blindness. Um, So I have those conversations now that are very easy for me that I didn't even know about, you know, 18 years ago. Um, So my consultations just got better by being honest and having more fruit to share. And also hearing, I take every opportunity when a patient sits in my chair, I'm always very grateful that they took the time to make an appointment with me. And I thank them for that. But I really listen to how their other treatments were, what was their experience, or why had they waited so long before having a treatment, or are they still just considering it and it's totally okay just to have a conversation today? And every patient is your chair is an opportunity to learn from. Mm-hmm. And having that longer appointment time, I just get to learn so much from my patients. And at the same time, I've just trained my eye to actively listen, but also I'm assessing their face the whole time while they're talking with me. And I enjoy that. Like I think of myself as a little detective, face detective, and I just work out all those little nuances in their beautiful faces, those little asymmetries, those little quirks that we want to keep there because it gives them just a unique look. And I really fall in love with that process. Like I really, really enjoy it. And it's not necessarily something that I can teach, but I do ask people and I talk to my peers about really like love on it and enjoy it and work it all out, work out why they've got a face presentation like this. You know, you have to kind of delve and look inside their mouth, lift up their chin, palpate their 
bone structure, palpate the muscle activity, feel the foramens, the pulses. Like to me, it's just like, I love talking about it. It's just exciting, you know? So I just fall in love with the faces. I fall in love with the patient stories. I love the emotional driver. Um, and the injecting comes secondary, you know, for me, for me. Yeah, you definitely have that a charismatic personality that just pulls people in and you immediately trust you. Um, something you said about how whenever they would say, oh, I want to be frozen or whatever the request was, and then you say, well, would you like my professional opinion? Usually, does that let them see things through your eyes or? Yes, it does. So, you know, we have to be a chameleon and mm-hmm. we have to be able to change our consultation to the patient's personality. So you're going to have personalities that are strong-willed, um, know-it-alls, you know, and that might be a personality where you're having to sort of fluff your feathers up a little bit more and say, hey, this is medicine, I'm a professional, this is my professional opinion, would you like some extra articles to read? You know, there's those types of patients. Um, then there's the patient that's a little nervous and they're like, not sure and you have to, again, cater to their personality by saying, hey, let's just have a conversation today. I don't want you to feel like you have to have a treatment today. This is just an exchange of information. I want you to feel comfortable when you're ready in your time. So there's, that's what's nice about the day, really, seeing all these different patients, seeing all these different personalities and catering to them in the best way that they understand. So sometimes I'm like big and large and putting them in their place. And other times I'm small and quiet and gentle. It's hard to get that if someone's shadowing you, you know what I mean? Like the real raw times with your patients is where it's very personal. It's an exchange between the two of two of you. So it's not very often now that I have someone shadow me because I don't get all the all the necessity things that I like to get, like the emotional driver with another pair of eyes in the room. You know, prior to the pandemic, I used to have, you know, I used to just let people come and shadow me because to be honest, I'd be learning from them, they'd be learning from me. And we went into a pandemic and things just changed. And I noticed that I was just getting so much more from the patients. It fills my cup and fills theirs. Yeah, it changes the dynamic, you know, when there's someone they don't know in the room. And whereas it's almost like their personal connection with you that they're expecting just their Rana time. Yeah, I love it. Don't you love it? Yeah, Yeah. because I said sometimes like, don't you feel like it's like the Botox or whatever they're there to get? It's just extra. It's like they're, they're there for the love and the connection. And then, oh, and they left with some Botox. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah. The happy juice. Yeah. (laughs) So we talked, I guess, a little bit about the patient expectations. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about how on the DAOs that you found uh, to avoid complications in your injection technique? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So, you know, that DAO muscle, it's pulling down the corners of the mouth, but it also interdigitates, you know, along the mandible into the platysma. So it's quite interesting because I'll tell you a story first of a DAO that I treated and many providers have and also had a complication and they vow to themselves, I will never treat that again. 
So I treated, of course, it was the mother of the bride and I gave her an asymmetrical smile and she came in and she was totally fine with it. And she just said, oh, Rana, can you fix it? And I just panicked in the moment. I understood the muscles and the way that they worked and if I negatively affected what to do it. But in that moment, I panicked. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I put saline in and pretended to fix it. Because in those days, you didn't tell anyone you had a complication. There was no way that you would walk out of the room, grab a pair and get a second opinion. That just wasn't, it just wasn't the industry at that time. We, we hid under rocks, you know. And I've like, even now when I'm talking to you, I've got goosebumps about it because I feel sick to my stomach and I never saw her again, but I had built this trusting relationship and then she just fell off. And I thought I will never treat the DAO again. And time went past and I thought to myself, I started to notice in that industry that the upper face was frozen and the lower face, there was a big disconnect, like a two-speed face, Mm -hmm. right? And then I was seeing patients that had been getting regular tox, frozen faces for several years. And they were like those books, you know, where you flip the heads, the torsos and the feet, and they were just all mixed up, you know, those children's books. And I thought to myself, I can't not treat the lower face to marry up with the rest of them. So now I have to learn how to do the DAOs properly. But in those days, I didn't understand myomodulation either with facial fillers. And we were predominantly 80% toxin and probably 20% filler back in the day. So if anyone had a DAO pulled down, we would just knock it out. We'd freeze it like we were freezing the glabella and the frontalis. So you'd come into a little bit more complications with it. So fast forward, now I know with good assessment, you know, to look in this area first with facial filler and look at those opportunities because where the DAO pulls you can put facial filler in that region in the pre-gel, which can quieten the muscle somewhat, not fully. But when you quieten the DAO, you actually give a little bit more oomph to the zygomaticus. So you're quietening this, and the opposing muscle is giving a little bit of a lift to the cheek and the corner of the mouth. So how I treat the DAO first is obviously good assessment. Do they need facial fillers? And then are they a candidate for neuromodulator? And now we've got to think of a safe place on how to treat them with neuromodulator. And in your assessment, you may also find that one DAO pulls more than the other. So you obviously have to tighter your dose. And you can treat all along the muscle of the DAO. And I see some people treating it up here. It originates at the mandible and it suits at the modiolus. But if you treat up here, you're so close to neighboring muscles that if you, you've you got more chance of inadvertently affecting the orbicularisaurus, the rosaurus, the zygomaticus, whereas I prefer to teach people to start with to, te- to treat lower on the mandible at the DAO because you're just further away from these zones. And here, I like to aim it towards the earlobe, so you're aiming it away from the DLI. And we're not looking to block the activity fully, you know, like I did in the heyday. We're just looking to quieten it 
So also patient real ex- expectations is very important because we're not looking to relax fully like we are a frown. We're just looking to partially reduce the activity so that you don't look as sad and it's just pausing the clock. And another really good way to treat the DAO is to even come further down and do a little bit at that platysma in the DAO insertion. So then you're just making yourself even more safer from the muscles that you can inadvertently affect and cause an asymmetrical smile. I love that for coming from the bottom, um, the mandible, because it just, I think it's like more of a safety (laughs) um, aspect. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, when it comes to these treatments, letting your patients know those rare risks, you know, are you prepared? Because everyone, even though you're palpating the muscles, you know what you're doing, there's going to be that sort of person every now and then, even with a frontalis injection, you're like, I wasn't expecting that. Everyone's anatomy is just unique. And uh, Rana, one of the things I'm, uh, besides just being so authentic, I feel like you build this great connection with your patients. And I was wondering if maybe you could talk about how maybe when an inadvertent complication comes up after all of your years experience, like what have you learned now to deal with that? If someone comes in, they've had an inadvertent complication, you didn't know what was going to happen. How, how, what's the approach that you take? Yeah, well, I can talk to my own experiences with my own complications. So I've had a vascular occlusion um, from facial filler, and it was with a patient. I won't get into the details of all of that because that could be, you know, another session. But um, I think ultimately at the end of the day, your patients know when you care deeply for them. And what she would say to you if she was sitting here now, she would say that the complication was her fault, not mine. It's absolutely crazy, I know. But to this day, she goes, no, Rana, it was me, not you. And I say, I take full responsibility. It's on me. But when they trust you so much, that's that's what they say back to you. Um, and I think the best provider, one of my peers that I work alongside with, I go, you are so good that you could drive into work, run over a patient, and that patient would say they got in your way. And that's the trusting relationship, you know. And that uh, person that I caused a vascular occlusion to, you know, I took it to the next level with her of saying, you're now a high-risk patient. Any other provider that you see, you have to let them know that you had an occlusion through here because even though you don't see it on the outside, you've got scar tissue on the inside. And feel free to give my number to that practitioner. I'm happy to go over things with them and let them know what happened. Well, she still flies from another state to come and see me in Chicago. So I think that when you just do the right thing by the patient, by other providers, by the industry, then your patient just sees that. You know, I'm not slamming it down their face, but that's just how it is. Um, And also you're not charging them anything, you know, and if I tallied up, you know, all, what all that cost me with hyperbaric chamber and triple board plastic surgeon reviewing her and all that, it, the money doesn't matter as long as the patient's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that goes back to what you said, like in your initial consult, the building trust 
the first time. Right. So that if you, you know, if you have an outcome like that, that's their perception. Yeah. And two, you know, I don't have any hesitations these days saying to a patient when I'm meeting them for the first time, look, I know that you're a candidate for these things and you want to do all these things, but this is a trusting relationship and we have to get to know each other. So let's start small and successful and then we can build into those. Like I had that with a young girl, um, an Arabic girl this week, very, very beautiful. When I say girl, she's probably around 25, 26. And I'm like, you look stunning. You know, I don't want you to get keep getting little things and then you've got this perception drift. And I'm like, now your mother doesn't recognize you. And I said kind of cute little things like, does your mother know that you're at this appointment today? And she's like, yeah, she told me I didn't need anything. And I'm like, I would agree with her. You know, so you're you're always finding that happy balance and pre- almost protecting the patient. You know, I said to her, look, Mother Nature has given you beautiful lips that nobody can recreate. And it's not until the passage of time, may you, you may need just the tiniest amount, but nothing for the next 20 years. And she's like, but I just want, you know, and I'm like, no. You know, and the, I and joke around a little bit, you know, because these young girls are fully educated, you know, through social media platforms, etc. They know what they want. They come in strong and you just got to be able to stand up to them. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard. It's like when I said before in my earlier days when I was younger and the women were my age who I looked at back then as old dinosaurs. <laughs> You know, that was hard too. And now I'm having flip side, I'm having a harder time with the, you know, the younger generation who are, I wouldn't say it was demanding. I would say that they're very knowledgeable and they come in very hard and fast with this is what I want. For sure. And I think social media has definitely influenced that. I love that you said that, that our job is to protect the patient because my favorite mentor, that was what he drilled into us every day. He's like, what is your number one job? And that was what we had to say is to protect the patient. And I never really thought of how that would really apply the same as aesthetics, but yeah, <laughs> you know, like when the, the patient's unconscious having surgery, it is our job. We're their only protector, but that's another whole way to think of that is to protect the patient as, as an aesthetic provider. Yes. I love that. Is there anything that you see coming that will change the aesthetic industry? Any trends that you see that are changing everything? Oh gosh, there's so much. I think I think it's really exciting for people that are entering the field now um, because they're getting such a good launch pad, you know. They're not having to go through the years of the mistakes that I've made. We're able to sort of share with them, this is how you make the mistake and this is how you avoid it. So I feel like Healthcare providers coming into a young aesthetic medicine industry now at a, are at a much better um, starting point than I was. Um, but it's still a fast evolving, developing industry. You know, just something as simple as is there 10 layers in the temple? And I'm like, next thing you know, there's 13 layers in the temple. And I'm like, how am I going to remember them all? Or are we, you know, there's just so much. I think the industry is moving towards regenerative, which is, I think, a very good thing. You know, biostimulators, exosomes, the patient's own, you know, being taken out and placed back in. 
So I think that's all really exciting. We're going to have longer lasting neuromodulators on the market, short acting, fast onset, topicals, transdermal patches. You're going to see a lot of changes, I think, in the next five years, a lot. And a lot more FDA approvals as well with masseter platysma coming out with neuromodulators, I think even this year. Well, it's exciting. It is. Yeah, especially for you, because I feel like you have more of an international perspective um, and maybe things like, I don't know, have you practiced internationally? I have, yeah. I've got my licensure at home, yeah. And so do you practice at home still? Well, since the pandemic, I used to have, you know, the opportunity to go back home three months a year when my kiddies were smaller and I would be able to see what was happening in Australia and New Zealand before it came to the U.S., The FDA takes a little bit more time, which can be a good thing, really, because if you are using your international peers as asking them what's their experience, um, what's even better is actually going there and shadowing, you know, working, coffee groups, connecting with people and getting their feedback. Um, I haven't done that so much since the pandemic. But I love to do that every year, you know, prior to the pandemic. I did go, was it this year, this Christmas, but I actually felt like I just needed a holiday. I didn't do any work Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, I did catch up with a group of injectors, but we just talked about our kids. (laughs) (laughs) And that's nice too, you know. It is. Uh, You brought up uh, the layers of the temple. What's your favorite way to inject the temples now? I don't know. (laughs) I'm kind of keeping my options open. You know what I mean? Uh I think what, you know, we've got the traditional techniques of, I started with cannula, then it went to one up, one over, what Dr. Arthur Swift, we all kind of do. Then Cotifana says cannula, so we all change. We've got to be able to critique some of these articles a little better. You know, sometimes there's like 12 or 14 um, dissections or something, and we're like, the whole industry changes. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. we have been doing a little ultrasound in our practice. So I think that's really helpful to visualize before treatment. And if something was to happen at an adverse event, it's great to be able to visualize where that blockage is so you can use your antidote. So for me with the temples, I'm still going between the two. Um, But what I do add is that the safety element of pre-mapping and also using a reversible product in addition to talking to patients about that it's a higher risk area and not doing that treatment on the patient the first time we meet. We just build our trusting relationship and revisit it as we go. For sure. I, I think that's very wise to not do the first visit. <laughs> and yeah. Rana, how much are you using ultrasound in your practice now? Well, to be honest, not much because I can hardly turn the thing on. So you <laughs> have to, when you... <laughs> I'm like, which way do I hold it? I have been to two courses, but it's a big learning curve. It's, you know, it's not as easy as one would think. It's a big learning curve. So we've got a provider in the practice that's spearheading it. Um, And you just have to find someone that's really passionate about it and is prepared to go on for further education and bring back the knowledge to the practice and teach us the little bits that we can do. 
um, another safety element in our practices and our safety algorithm, we've got proficient providers as well um, it, with ultrasound in Chicago that we can call on in the event of an adverse event. So those people that are much more proficient than me and anyone in our practice, when we really need them, um, they would be there as we would be for them as well. I think you're kind of the one that started the phrase, you know, uh, community over competition. And that's definitely a time of where, you know, planting those seeds of being a community definitely pays off if you need someone like that to come and, and help. Yeah, no, it's good. Got to make best friends with those types of people, right? <laughs> well, I feel just like you with the ultrasound. Um, I, I, as you know, a CRNA. He's physician anesthesiologist, and he actually. Um, I finished my program two years before he finished his, and almost like in that two years is when ultrasound really got popular in anesthesia. So when I met him, like he was very proficient in ultrasound, and I'm like you, like I don't know if I'm looking at someone's baby or if. I'm <laughs> I'm looking at a nerve, you know, it's just, I feel like almost like I have a middle block with it. Whereas like you say, for some, it just comes easier than others. I can definitely see when my cannula or my needle's entering. I'm like, oh, there it is. Yeah, you see that. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, well, I know you had a very successful practice there. Like, I guess when I first trained with you was in 2018 or 19 and you were at the plastic surgery center and then uh, kind of end of COVID, still kind of on restrictions. I was able to come see you at your new place, the Confidence Lab, which is very beautiful. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So I, I, was, what I said I want to bring you back to decorate my place because I love your style. But um, oh, it's true. What would you say was like maybe the biggest change for you or any obstacle from going from being where maybe you just had to show up every day and inject and love on your patients to now, oh, I'm responsible for everything as a business owner? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Where to start? Um, <laughs> a whole other session, right? So <laughs> where to start? Well, I think that um, I didn't intend to start the confidence bar or the confidence lab. And I will say that for many years, patients and some provider friends used to always say to me, you know, why don't you start your own place? And I would just look at them. I'm like, I have no desire, absolutely no desire. Very happy working for the wonderful plastic surgeons that I've worked for over the years, worked within lovely teams. There was never any, I truly, even though it would be dropped in my lap every now and then, I had no desire to. Um, but what happened with the pandemic, it's, it, it really did fall from the sky and land in my lap. And it was our children were being homeschooled and I just mm -hmm. needed somewhere to be close. Right. So I needed to be home for the kids being homeschooled and I needed to be seeing patients. But I had some courses in the pipeline and I refunded everybody um, because we, we were isolating and several of those people reached out to me and said, can you put it online? And I was like, no, like, I don't want to be online. Even you asking me to do this, I might seem like I'm outgoing, but I'm actually quite shy. Oh, um, so funny. I know, I am, I am. I'm actually <laughs> quite shy. Like training and <laughs> I know, I know. I, do, <laughs> I don't admit it, but I am. I am actually, you can ask my mother, I've been very, very shy all my life, so... I just make, I push myself out of my boundaries, right? So 
people were asking me and I was like, no, I don't want to do it. Like I would be mortified for someone to see me on camera or on a course online. Like I was just like, no way. Things got worse in Chicago. Um, the stuff around racism and George, George Floyd, and we live sort of close to downtown Chicago. So we actually left Chicago for four to five months and moved to Indiana. And so I left the industry completely. Um, but that was actually a time to put my courses online. So I bought a big microphone off Amazon. It was very phallic. It was like $20. And I recorded my presentation. And what happened was people just were like, well, I want to do my hands-on now. And I was like, and they, I just got such positive feedback from the course, from the courses. And they're like, when can I do my hands-on with you? And I'm like, what? I actually didn't even think anyone would look at it. I truly didn't. And if one person likes something, then they tell five friends. You know what I mean? So then I had to find a safe space to bring people in for part B, which was the hands-on training. And that's where I started the confidence lab, where you came. And, you know, two rooms very small, but served the purpose. But I was able to make sure that all the pandemic requirements were there, the hypochlorous acid, the mask, the wipe down. And I just knew that I was in a safe space doing all the right things. I wasn't seeing patients then. I was just serving the people that had taken my online course to do the hands-on. But I needed to start seeing patients so they could be the models for the trainings. And that's how the that's how the confidence bar and confidence lab is. No idea. That is incredible, and you're so humble too. <laughs> um, I was a midwife for about seven years, and I got such joy from that. And I have to, have to say that when I had my two children, I thought that I was going to have this like emotional cry when they got passed to me, and I always felt a little guilty that I didn't. Like, I love my children, but when I looked at them, I didn't burst into this emotional, oh, you know. I tell you this little backstory, but when we were in Indiana and I needed a medical director, I needed a space, I needed someone to answer the front desk, I needed help. I made phone, I made phone calls all in one afternoon and every single person I called said yes. Wow. And I went to the toilet in this rented place that we were renting and I sat on the toilet and I cried. And it was, <laughs> I could cry now, <laughs> but it was the cry that I thought that I would have when I had my babies. And That's it was, the, is it, I know it truly was like, I'm tearing up now thinking about it because I've never actually told anyone this. And I was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I thought to myself, this is what I actually deserve because I've helped so many other people that in just one afternoon, every person said, yes, 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 yes. Whatever I can do for you, yes, yes, yes. And it was born. Wow. I, I have truly. I have tears too. I haven't even told my husband that, but I remember closing the toilet door because I didn't want to set my children to see me crying. They'd never seen me cry. And I just did this like emotional, like it just, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is the cry that 
I thought I'd have when I had my son and daughter and now I'm having it. And a business was born on a toilet. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm very, I'm very, very fortunate. You know, I'm surrounded by really good people. My medical director, his family and my support system. Um, I feel very, very fortunate, but it's hard work. You know, it's it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I like hard work too, because I feel like I've got a purpose. But in the same breath, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I'm exhausted, but it's all for a good cause. You know, I get a lot of drive by seeing the excitement that happens in others. Like, I really love when people go on to do their thing or people make a change for a happier purpose in their life and their career. And that's really what drives me forward. If I'm not around people that I'm feeling that are empowered and excited, then I would be completely flat and I probably wouldn't get out of bed. But when I'm around good energy, I'm like, I can do anything. And that's the energy you put off because even like with training with you, you you give such confidence like, hey, you can do this. But if I wasn't around people that wanted to do it, I couldn't. There was a woman in one of our trainings and I took her by 10, 15 in the morning. I took her to the bathroom. I said, you can leave now. I'll give you your money back. You can leave because you. Ju- she was just pulling down the energy of the entire room. So I'm just very fortunate, like I said before, you, you try, your your philosophy and your persona draws the same type of patient. Well, I think in the trainings, I bring in similar healthcare providers. So when there's an offlier, if I had a room full of that, I wouldn't go to work. But there's only one person that I can point out the entire time that I've been doing this in the confidence lab that I asked them to leave. Wow, good for you that you did that for everyone else in the training, you know? Yeah, you just, it just doesn't, it's not a good experience. And the thing is that I said to her, you know, I didn't know her emotional driver either. It comes into aesthetics, changing careers, et cetera, or building on existing knowledge. She probably had something going on in her personal life, but it wasn't the time and the place in a group training. Right. Wow, that's an amazing story, and it shows uh, it's like that the the sense of the crying is like the overjoyment. It just it sounds to me like that's your destiny or purpose. You know, at least that's what yeah. I've always felt. So. It's funny. I hadn't you know I hadn't thought about that for a very long time. It's nice to go back to that moment. That's one of those things ever. Like if you have a hard day, that you can just kind of go back to and close your eyes and remember that feeling that you had, and it will probably yeah. instantly lift your lift your energy. Yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely definitely a moment in my life that I'm like, wow. I just like it was like a gift. Truly was a gift. Truly was. It was given to me, but now it's a lot of work to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> like just like your kids, right? <laughs> it's a lot of discipline, you know, showing sure. up. <laughs> a lot of discipline. And kind of speaking of which, um, what would you know for new injectors uh, that are coming to to train with you, or you see you see new people starting out? Is there any advice that you would have for somebody who's doing trying to make that change? You know, maybe they have an emotional driver to trying to escape the mainstream healthcare system, trying to get a better life. Like, what advice would you give someone like that? Yeah, um, 
we always say in our class, you know, to these sort of people entering is it's medicine. You know, this is not a fluffy industry. It's still hard work, you know, and it's ongoing education. Like we go to everything that we can possibly go. I'm in the front row writing notes. I'm in the front row doubting myself, thinking I know nothing. You know what I mean? So it's just ongoing education. And for those that are coming into the industry and think that it's going to be sunshine and cocktails, that just it's it's not. It's hard work. Um, we don't let anyone come to our course. I don't sort of say this publicly, but we kind of get people's details and how many years experience, but we don't let people come to our course that are straight from school because I think it's very important that they get a good base at the hospital first because we are such a niche industry that it does still require, you know, the assessment skills and the knowledge base of general medicine. Um, and I do, we don't really have, we've only caught it two times. Um, and actually both of the times they were estheticians that went to nursing school and wanted to get into aesthetics. So I understood that a lot more, like it really was their, their career move, but coming, going to nursing school to be an aesthetic injector I think you still have to have a solid base from the hospital or maybe I just think that they should have to do their time first (laughs) maybe they just have to like do the shift work the night shifts get constipated dehydrated and then you can come on board you know maybe I want them to do that the time first but starting in the industry just being open um, being safe being collaborative with each other finding a nice group to connect with and we do that in our trainings too where we share each other's information and I really want them to stay connected I you know when I hear people that have come to our course and met from different parts of the country and then they're going on together to another conference like it lights my fire like I'm like I feel so, sure. I feel quietly proud about it, you know. Uh-huh. It's really, really nice. And, you know, there was a conference that, again, I just went to this weekend and I met someone that came to our course and she's like, oh, Rana, you know, always check in on such and such who came to the course too. And I'm like, oh, so nice. It's really, really nice. It really is. Like um, I've had girls come to stuff and they're like, oh, I feel like this was my long lost sister and I would never have met her if I wouldn't have come to this. So what's next for Rana? Do you have any cool projects or anything you're speaking at? Um, what's next? I'm looking forward to summer. <laughs> I want to get on that drug, that semi-glutide, so my legs don't rub together. <laughs> no, I'm not going to get on it. But I'm like, damn, imagine like just quarter of me. That would be like nice for summer. <laughs> I feel like all the injectors have got these bobble heads, you know what I mean? They're like, yeah, they were already really thin. thin. They were already thin, and now they're just like uber thin. Um, but no, I'm looking forward to summer um, and just kind of getting out a little bit more with my family. Like, to be honest, the pandemic, I really, we just stayed in the neighborhood. I really did go under a rock. And being social again, it's taken me a while to 
climatized to it. Like, like even just in our own home, we've only just, the kids have only just started having friends coming over, you know, prior to the pandemic, we would have friends over for dinner twice a week and we just haven't for a long time. So I just want to get back into that a little bit more normality. Um, so that's on the home front. I want to, we're going to go see my mum. Going to see my, I've got three brothers. Going to see them in June. And then with work, you know, everything that we're doing is just really good. But I only see improvement. For me, I only see ways to improve, improve. But sometimes I just have to settle with. We are doing already. We are already doing it great. So just sit with that right. for a little bit. But mm-hmm. I only, my brain only goes to better, 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 do better, do better, do better. But I think I should just sit comfortable and enjoy for a little bit, but I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, where is the best place for people to find you? I get, you know, I've got a nice community on Patreon mm-hmm. um, and that's, re- that's really lovely. Um, and then people send me a lot of messages on social media. Sometimes it's SOS messages, just helping people out. Um, and here in Chicago, pop pop by anytime. Pop by anytime. You're welcome anytime. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That's so sweet. It's like such a giving attitude. That's that's why I love you, Ronnie. Like you're so authentic. You're so real. Like oh, it's funny. This morning, <laughs> um, I was ordering some cannulas from this lady that's in Korea and she um, she can make custom cannulas so any size any gauge and she's calls me sister and I'm like oh that's so nice and I've told other people about her and they're like she calls me sister too and I'm like oh <laughs> but anyway she said she said she's coming to the US so I said to her oh, you can come and stay at my house and she kind of responded and she's like, that's very nice of you, sister, but, um, ooh, ah. And then I'm like, oh, I'm from New Zealand. We invite everyone over. I promise I'm not going to cut you up into tiny pieces and put you in my freezer. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just the New Zealand way. You know, we would hate for someone to, like, spend money on a hotel. We're like, come stay. Oh, we know each other. <laughs> But she's uh, she was kind of like, oh well, thank you, but no, thank you, sister. <laughs> Honey, if you're calling me sister, you're coming to stay at my place. It's <laughs> too funny. Very funny. Thank you so much. Perfect. So perfect. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. As medical entrepreneurs, we have a saying, one vision, one purpose, freedom through prosperity. If you're ready to follow your destiny and break free of the mainstream medical system, join us at freedomthroughprosperity.com. See you next week.